Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again, and welcome back to the Lucky Titan. So guys, we're here with Nir Bashan. You guys have to remember this guy. Super amazing. We had such a fun conversation last time. And right before this interview, it was a great conversation. He's been doing some pretty amazing things. I'm excited to dive into this because near since our last conversation, you know, you've obviously you've, I think you wrote your book on our last conversation. Now that I think about it, you might've written it recently, but I mean, he's doing a podcast with McGraw Hill. You don't get that unless you're a, you're a big name guy. I'm just going to say it. And uh, <laughs> he's done some amazing things in business. So I'm excited to have you here near, but I really want to know next steps, right? What worked? What didn't? What are you doing next? How are you scaling? Are you pivoting? You know, we're going to dive into that today. So first off, say what's up, Nir, and then we'll hop in. Hey, thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. And your follow-up is like great. You've been emailing <laughs> me and keeping in touch with me on all, all social, and I really appreciate it. And your show is, is incredible. I, I try to catch an episode when I can. Oh, hey, I appreciate it. Uh, I try to do my best. We've had this conversation already, but for the people who listen to this is I am not the greatest networker on the planet, but I sure as heck care about the people we work with. So near really diving into this, right. Of like, you know, I think since we talked, we spoke last before all the COVID shenanigans, I believe it's been at least two years and maybe <laughs> anyways, what have you been doing as far as like, how has your business transformed in the last couple of years? So a lot. It's been a lot. Um, the book has been out now almost a year and a half, a little bit more than a year and a half. And things have really sort of took off. I have doubled down on scale efforts, Josh. So it's tracking staff, making sure that people are doing what they need to be doing, making sure that the customers of my product and service are happy that's what it's been. It hasn't been a pivot. It has been like, as my friend uh, Stephen Shapiro says, it's been a divot, right? Like, let's <laughs> go down deeper into the whole of meaning, right? And figuring out how to become way, way better at what I do. Yeah, I love that. What, especially with what you're doing, you know, being somebody who is a thought leader really is what I would consider you. You know, your business is thought leadership you really have to be focused on that change yourself anyways, because people look to people like you when the pandemic hits, you know, they're like, Oh my goodness, what do I do? I can make a look at your page. They go listen to your podcast and say, what's next. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to use your business and especially in what I do, it's really kind of, you know, general public facing, right? So right. you have to make the decisions that you make, with an eye toward what is next and what is new and fresh and exciting. For me, for my business, I, I generally uh, monetize it in a few different ways. There's the book, there's the podcast, there is uh, speaking gigs. And so on the speaking gigs, you know, I noticed that, especially when the pandemic started, then even, even recently, depending on the states, right? So like Florida and Texas, they're like, woohoo, we're yeah. doing in person, right? Even yeah. today, we're, you know, in the middle of, or at the end of May. And so some of the states are still doing stuff online. They don't want stuff to come back. So I came up with a bunch of new stuff, right? I got creative. And so I did coffee with Nier, where I do this thing with companies where I get on the phone with them for a half an hour every morning, every morning of their day. And I sit and I have a cup of coffee with them 
and, you know, just kind of come up with different ideas and brainstorm. I took the typical keynote model and spread it over a week. So instead of doing it an hour uh, in front of people, I do a little bit online. So there's all these kinds of different methodologies that I've developed to help become more creative during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, my question is, are you doing this with multiple companies? Because if you're having a coffee with every single one of those, you're going to be a spaz. Cracked out. <laughs> I'm going to be cracked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get like really excited about it, you know, <laughs> or just, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> I, it's different. It's yeah. It's different kinds of things. I, I've done a lot more workshops um, over the last six months than I've ever have before. Those are kind of intense one-on-one, one-on-three, some kind of really meaningful, small group training. It's kind of, uh, it's changed the nature of the the business quite a bit. And I think, you know, People are constantly looking for leadership there. And here's the thing, like anybody who says they know what will happen or what will be effective is a liar because there is no recipe for this stuff. It is about Josh trying over and over and seeing what ends up working and seeing what doesn't. We are so afraid to fail as entrepreneurs, as business owners, that we say, ah, you know, it worked last year. It'll work again next year. Everything will be fine. I need to change nothing. And that is like literally the recipe for failure. What you want to do is you want to try a new initiative, see how the market absorbs or not absorbs it, and then change your track depending on whether or not you're successful. That is 100% the, the divot, you know, mentality, the let's get into the weeds. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, what's funny is asking this question to so many different entrepreneurs. It's interesting because if you watch what's been happening in the online space is that it's gone from $100 products to $10,000 products. I mean, the price has had to increase with going online, which is really interesting because there's way less cost going online, but people aren't even taking you seriously unless you're charging five, 10 grand now, you know, and it's, it's so interesting because the way that you are doing what you're doing is it's allowing you to a probably increase your price, but leverage your time a little bit better. I'm really curious though, of at what point it's going to flip again, yeah. because everybody's like all gung ho about online. And then now that we're, we can have events again, everybody's all gung ho about going back to live events. So everybody and their dog is starting a live event because they're like, oh, it's the perfect time. You're like, the perfect time isn't when everybody's doing it. It's when nobody's doing it. I'm just going to say it. But uh, I'm just curious, like for you, when do you think that pivot's going to happen? When people pivot back to you know, the way that it used to be, or do you think that's even going to happen? You know, it's, I think it's inevitable. So the market's in shambles as we talk right now. I don't know. I didn't check the Dow, but I'm betting I checked the futures before we got on the show. It's down like, you know, 300 points. Yeah. So, and it, you know, we're in one of the worst inflationary periods of history. Now is, is the best time to come up with crazy ideas because on, you know, the practical nature of it is that if you try something and it fails, you can blame someone else. <laughs> exactly. Which is awesome, right? <laughs> so if you try an initiative right now and it fails, you can go, ah, it's contemplation, right? It's <laughs> awesome. And people go, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's built in. So to answer your question, I don't know. I don't know when things will flip back. I think they will, because that's kind of the nature of these things where something is new and fresh and exciting. Oh yeah, let's pay 10 grand for that, right? And now it's like, well, we want the guy here in person and we want him. I just did a keynote in Chicago and 
the meeting organizer, you know, they, they paid for the in-person thing and they were like, please come to the, we have like a donut break afterward for 15 minutes, please come to the thing. And I'm like, okay, no problem. So I showed up and, you know, people were so excited about having a face-to-face conversation. It was so weird. It was almost as excited as they were to have an online presentation in like, you know, April of 2020. So it's kind of, I don't know when it will go back, but I do know, and I don't know what changes will happen, stuff like that. But what I do know is now is a a perfect time for your listeners to go to those three ideas that they have up on their bookshelf and just execute, 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 and throw it out there and see what happens. And it's just like, this is the time to do something like that. See, and and I love that because what's so interesting is I was watching this study. I don't remember when or where this was, probably in my MBA program, but they were talking about the biggest moments in tech advancement are always during war and recession because everybody's back is to a wall and they're like, we have got to fix this, right? X, Y, Z problem. And it's so interesting because I mean, all of that's happening right now, you know, unfortunately, but luckily if you'll be that creator, right? Which is, you know, near that's like your area of thought leadership is being a creator, right? Is that if you'll be that creator right now, if you launch something and it epically fails, nobody will even notice. No. Right. And it's like, you're not going to have that weird embarrassment of like, oh, wow, that was an epic failure because nobody even notices. It's going to get lost in a wave of other things. Yeah. Allow yourself the time and space you need now to make all kinds of mistakes because you and everyone else are going to be making those mistakes. And now it's the time where nobody will point it out. So you literally have the opportunity right now to just fire off a bunch of stuff that you know that you need to try. Yeah. Well, and you've thrown this word around a couple of times today, Nears, is the initiative, right? And I'm really, I really want to kind of unpack that a little bit because, I mean, your area being, being of your area of thought leadership is, is being a creator, right? And being a creator, running an initiative, what do you mean when you say an initiative? So for me, an initiative is anything that leads an idea to making money. Right. So literally it's a thought or a action, a product, a service, any kind of idea that you have as a business owner or, or even as a, an employee or staff member that equates to a form of uh, revenue. And hopefully the revenue has some profit. That's what when I talk about taking a risk on initiative with different groups that I I work with. It's always about taking an idea that you have, and it could be anything, right? It can literally be a product that we want to try in a particular market, but it can also be an adjustment to a pathway. A lot of people think, oh man, near, you know, ideas are always like a new product, right? A new model, we're launching a new model or or we're trying a new service with our particular services company. It doesn't always have to be that. You can launch an initiative in a pathway that changes the way that you do things internally and gets the pipeline out the door in a different way. A lot of people don't see that as innovation. They don't see that as creativity, but there is a ton a very important creativity there. It's about looking at how we've been doing things internally and saying, you know what, is this the best way to do it? Or is there a better way? That's innovation. And you could do that now. Fail a few times, do it wrong a few times, and then learn from, hey, you know, this has been working, this has not been working, and then apply those lessons learned to move forward. 
Yeah. It's funny about that is you watch all these companies, especially in the tech sector. We've been working with a lot of tech companies randomly, which is funny because they're not our ideal customer. But with tech companies, they're all trying to be disruptive, quote unquote, right? And if you're chasing the disruption, you're going to fail, right? A disruption is a whoops thing. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, I just, I totally dominated a market, right? But being innovative is something that everybody can do because like you're saying is it's multiple different actions and executing on them. <laughs> it's, it can be subtle. Like I work with a lot of financial services companies who are like, we want to be disruptive in the business. It's like, no, you're, you're starting with a goal without even understanding, you know, the, the path to get there. You know, uh, it, I think it's fine to have lofty, you know, aspirations, but just being disruptive in your sector is, it's simply not enough. Yeah. And it's funny. I'm on the board of this company. They're doing they're basically merging business education with gaming. It's actually quite an interesting company, but they have that mentality of like disruption. But it's funny because their model isn't to, you know, make millions and millions and millions of dollars doing like just from their product. It's saying, hey, we're going to be disruptive enough that we're a slap in the face. Everybody's going to come download it. We collect their data and that data is obviously worth billions of dollars. And I just thought it was so interesting because watching the way that people do that versus what a creator does is a creator saying, how do I provide real value in the market so that it can, you know, it's just not so just, I can just resell people's data, right? I'm leveraging my thought leadership to be a game changer and you're going to be attracting people maybe slower, but it becomes that really the type of business that I feel like most people actually want nowadays. They don't want to be that executive. They want to be that creator. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's a lot of sort of misalignment in the tech community where, you know, the goal becomes, oh, you know, let's build it enough to sell it, you know, and cash in on a payday and stuff like that. You know, that's all good and fine, but people don't realize how incredibly bored, you know, you'll be once that happens. Because then what are you going to do? I mean, if the goal is to sit with a Mai Tai on the beach, you know, for the rest of your life, then go for it. But that's incredibly boring to me, right? I don't want to do that. I want to spend my life helping people become more creative. That's kind of my thing. And so I think that, you know, collecting data in your case, I think is a worthwhile goal, but there's so much more there. And if you don't sort of sit down and explore all of those things and see how the company is situated to reap in that value, then you're cutting your mission and your approach short. And you know what, Josh? People feel it. People know it. it, it whether it's a B2B or whether it's uh, you know, a consumer-facing, people get it. They understand, wait a second, this is really set up only to do this. This isn't a holistic approach. This isn't a company that cared. These aren't people that want to go big. These are people that are literally looking to get out Mai Tai on the beach in the Bahamas style. People right. know it. People are very, very good bullshit detectors, and they know an authentic voice from an inauthentic one. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I want to touch on that. I know that was like the end of the conversation, but you just sparked a thought. The the difference between an authentic voice and an inauthentic voice. I watch a lot of people who they're quote unquote mission driven, right? They're like, I'm focused on legacy. I'm trying to do all this, but then they end up getting inauthentic while they're trying to be authentic. Um, it's bizarre. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of a weird totally. phenomenon. Yeah, I, it's one of those. So here's what I think happens. I think that every company, every business has sort of a, a goal that they set out to do and uh, an initiative uh, that they want to monetize in some way, right? And, and profit from, hopefully. 
And what ends up happening is, you know, sometimes the rush to margins and lowering costs and the manufacturing of that product or whatnot becomes the goal. And people get blindsided by what it means to somebody at the end. And people tell me all the time, Nir, that's BS, right? My little part means nothing to this. It's just a part in the pipeline of a manufacturer that builds blah, 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 right? But I beg to differ because there's some human element in there and somebody really cares that you built that part to that specific tolerance, you know, and that you're dependable and that you're nice on the phone and that, you know, if they have a problem, they call you or they text you and you text them back. People have lost that sense of, uh, Josh, of connectivity, connecting their product or service to the humanity of what it's like to deal with you and what it is that you do. And so what ends up happening is you chase these efficiencies, you chase these things that you think are the holy grail of of whatnot, and you end up losing that authenticity that got you in that business in the first way. Yeah. What, you know, it's interesting is we look at brands like Apple, right? And they've got people, people will are you back and forth on this one all over the place? But the thing that Apple does better than anybody else is that what you get from their messaging is what you get from the product and even more. And the experience, I mean, just opening a box of an iPhone or an iPad or a MacBook is an experience, right? Where, you know, you buy somebody else's tech products and it's like the cheapest possible box, cheapest possible packaging. And it's just, it's that super crappy foam that gets everywhere. Nobody likes it, Right. But that's the experience they're providing. I don't really like to use huge companies like them as an example on this podcast because it's not, you can be doing something similar to that from the fulfillment marketing stage, sales stage. It's that through line. line. You yeah. got to have that through line in, in the, the uh, approach to your product or service. It's very much unique. It's who you are. Right? Right. And even if you're an Apple, you're still, you've still got that whole Steve Jobs thing, man. It's still a live and it is still running through the veins of that company. Every company is the same. McDonald's is the same. It's still right. that Ray Kroc approach of the best burger consistently. He was crazy about consistency, consistency, consistency. And you have that, whether or not you have a hamburger in New York City at a McDonald's or in, you know, uh, in the Philippines, it doesn't matter. It's all the same experience. That's the McDonald's brand consistency. So I think absolutely the through line is incredibly important and the through line from, you know, the, the idea all the way to the, you know, to the tangible, uh, the skew is the authenticity of the brand, right? And if you keep that all up, then your brand becomes authentic. People love it. And that works for anybody from, you know, what I do in thought leadership all the way down to, you know, manufacturing. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk on a on a more uh, info product scale at this point, right? Because a lot of people listen to this are info products, right? Coaches, consultants, course owners, right? And w- when you're providing a service like that, it's it's so interesting to me. A lot of people who try to start a coaching program or something are doing it from an angle of, I need to solve this problem too. So I'm going to make a whole coaching program around this, right? Which to me is completely the wrong approach in my opinion, especially from a coaching angle, because people are putting their lifeblood in you. But, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, with the creator mindset is how, how are you helping people build an authentic brand around information products? So I, you know, I don't do a lot of coaching. I don't, I don't do a lot of coaching for a very specific reason. 
What I want to do is I want to empower people to do well on their own. And I don't want them to come to me. I am in the business, unfortunately, of augmented uh, staff a lot of times because people gravitate towards my message or they read the book and they call me up. They're like, dude, help me put this department together. We need you to help build a innovation department. And I'm leaving money on the table because this isn't the core of my business. But I tell people, no, I'd rather do a couple of workshops to get you guys educated and off and running. And then let's do a follow-up in six months. So I'm not you know, in the business of sign up for 10 hours with Nier and we'll sit down and work through your particular problem with your CFO at work, or, you know, we'll get that product sold in that. I I think a lot of times the, the goal of coaching is really to overcome a particular problem. But my approach is that I want to teach somebody how to fish rather than give them a fish. And then they go, yeah, cool. You know, I, I got through this you know, hunger period. And I, I want to teach somebody the fundamentals, which is teachable, it's all easy to grasp. You know, I want to teach people the fundamentals of creativity so that they can go and apply it in their businesses. Yeah. Love that. Well, and you know, we're coming up to the end of the interview here. So I just want to give a shout out for the book guys go to the creator mindset.com. You definitely need to check this book out. Boom. There we go. For those of you who are visually seeing it, <laughs> yeah. make sure you go check this book out because Honestly, it's a fantastic book. And it's funny, Nero, as, as we were talking, I'm like, have I read this one? I look up, it's on my shelf. Um, so <laughs> I guess I have, it's been a while, <laughs> but fantastic book. So make sure you guys go check that one out. Um, he also has a podcast you guys can check out. We'll link all of that beneath the show notes here today. So I just want to ask you, Nero, just to kind of wrap this interview up with just one final question. So I'm going to give you a scenario, right? So I'm a creator. I've done about a million dollars in sales. And I'm trying to figure out, do I pivot or scale? Go. What would you do? That's a tough one. I, you know, pivot or scale is really about how much you do love the core business and are you authentic? Are you showing up as you? And is that getting to your customer? Doesn't matter who it is, whoever's spending that money, if it's a sponsor, great. If it's a an end user, great. Whoever it is, are you showing up authentic? If the answer is yes and you're loving life, then you keep going, right? You keep going, you scale, you build around it, you get people energized, evangelized about the brand and really excited. Let them kind of come up with their own ideas, which will expand your idea into a bunch of different options, products and services. That That's kind of my, my thing, right? So you have to really decide and ask yourself one question. Am I enjoying this? Do I still love it? Am I still 100% into it? If you are, then keep going. If not, you need to change. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan Podcast. If you've learned anything from this or any other episode, make sure you rate it and share it with another entrepreneur who could help. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the flip side.